Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, February 21st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, and we are going to get right into your uh, to our reading today. Uh, the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can, you can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely encourage you to go over there. You can find some wonderful things, um, some awesome, awesome podcasts, awesome listening, definitely worth your time. I do want to continue to point you at the final link in our show notes. That is the link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so we can shift gears and develop, commence development on a Christian classic education-based school. So go ahead and click on the link. Go take a read. Um, and then when you're done, we, we'd ask three things of you. We'd ask you to pray for us. We'd ask you for you to prayerfully consider giving to us. And then we'd ask you to pass the link along to others so that they can do the same thing. All right. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and open up this morning. We're going to open up, as we usually do on a Tuesday morning, with the third day morning prayer, God, creator and controller. Let's pray. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, excuse me, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with pros prosperity, May we be free from its snares, and use, not abuse, its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander. Hedge up our ways, excite in us abhorrence of sin, wean us from the present evil world, assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. In our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 21st, the text comes from Hebrews 13:5. He hath said, <clears throat> If we can only grasp these words by faith, we have an all-conquering weapon in our hand. What doubt will not be slain by this two-edged sword? What fear is there which shall not fall smitten with a deadly wound before this arrow from the bow of God's covenant? Will not the distresses of light 
distresses of life and the pangs of death? Will not the corruptions within and the snares without? Will not the trials from above and the temptations from beneath? All seem but light afflictions, when we can hide ourselves beneath the bulwark of he hath said. Yes, whether for delight in our quietude or for strength in our conflict, he hath said must be our daily resort. And this may teach us the extreme value of searching the scriptures. There may be a promise in the word which would exactly fit your case, but you may not know of it, and therefore you miss its comfort. You are like prisoners in a dungeon, and there may be one key in the bunch which would unlock the door, and you might be free. But if you will not look for it, you may remain a prisoner. Still, though, liberty is so near at hand, there may be potent medicine in the great pharmacopoeia of Scripture, and you may yet continue sick unless you will examine and search the Scriptures to discover what he hath said. Should you not, besides reading the Bible, store your memories richly with the promises of God? You can recollect the sayings of great men. You treasure up the verses of renowned poets. Ought you not to be profound in your knowledge of the words of God, so that you may be able to quote them readily when you would solve a difficulty or overthrow a doubt? Since he hath said is the source of all wisdom and the fountain of all comfort, let it dwell in you richly, as well as a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. So shall you grow healthy, strong, and happy in the divine life. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading for the day. We're going to start with Leviticus 11 and 12, and then into Mark 5, Psalm 38, and Proverbs 10. So Leviticus 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Yahweh spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever divides a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals, that you may eat. Nevertheless, you shall not eat of these among those which you chew, which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. Likewise the shafen, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit also, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, for though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses, they are unclean to you. These you may eat, whatever is in the water, all that have fins and scales. Those in the water, in the seas, or in the rivers, you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and in the rivers that does not have fins and scales among all the swarming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you, and they shall be detestable to you. You may not eat of their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. These, moreover, you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable the eagle, and the vulture, and the buzzard, and the kite, and the falcon in its kind, every raven in its kind, and the ostrich, and the owl, and the gull, and the hawk in its kind, and the little owl, and the cormorant, cormorant, and the great owl, and the white owl, and the pelican, and the carrion vulture, and the stork, the heron in its kind, and the hoopoe, and the bat, 
All the swarming things that fly and that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the swarming things that fly and that walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs which, with which to jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locust in its kinds, and the devastating locust in its kinds, and the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. But all other swarming things that fly and that are four-footed are detestable to you. By these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches, <sighs> Sorry. whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening, and whoever picks up any of their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof, but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paws among all the creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses become unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. Now these are to you the unclean among the swarming things which swarm on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard in its kind, and the gecko and the crocodile and the lizard and the sand reptile and the chameleon. These are to you the unclean among all the swarming things. Whoever touches them when they are dead become unclean until evening. <clears throat> also anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article or clothing or a skin or a sack. Any article by which work is done, it shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening. Then it becomes clean. As for any earthenware vessel into which one of them may fall, whatever is in it becomes unclean, and you shall break the vessel. Any of the food which may be eaten, on which water comes, shall become unclean, and any liquid which may be drunk in every vessel shall become unclean. Everything, moreover, on which part of their carcass may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed. They are unclean and shall continue as unclean to you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern collecting water shall be clean, though the one who touches their carcass shall be unclean. <clears throat> and if a part of their carcass falls on any seed for sowing, which is to be sown, it is clean. Though if water is put on the seed and a part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. Also, if one of the animals dies, which you have for food, the one who touches its carcass becomes unclean until evening. He too who eats some of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And the one who picks up its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Now every swarming thing that swarms on the earth is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours, whatever has many feet in respect to every swarming thing that swarms on the earth, you shall not eat them, for they are detestable. Do not render yourselves detestable though through any of the swarming things that swarm and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them so that you become unclean for i am yahweh your god therefore set yourselves apart as holy and be holy for i am holy and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that move on the earth for i am yahweh who brought you up from the land of egypt to be your god thus you shall be holy for i am holy this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth, to separate between the unclean and the clean, and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. Leviticus 12 Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, 
When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, as in the days of her menstruation. She shall be unclean. Now on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall remain in the blood of her cleansing for thirty-three days. She shall not touch any holy thing, and she shall not enter the sanctuary until the days of her cleansing are fulfilled. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall remain in the blood of her cleansing for sixty-six days. When the days of her cleansing are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. Then he shall bring it near before Yahweh and make atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, whether a male or a female. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she will be clean. All right, Mark 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet, and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come, that by coming you may lay your hands on her, so that she will be saved and live. And he went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years, and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him, and touched his garment. For she was saying, If I just touch his garment, I will be saved from this. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she knew within her body that she had been healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus perceived in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd, and was saying, Who touched my garment? And his disciples were saying to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he was looking around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace." and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly crying and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and crying? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl stood up and began to walk for she was twelve years old, and immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that some food should be given to her to eat. All right. Psalm 38. A Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. 
O Yahweh, reprove me not in your wrath, and discipline me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have pressed deep into me, and your hand has pressed down upon me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities go over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds stink and rot because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am faint and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength forsakes me, and the light of my eyes, even that, has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my kinsmen stand afar off. Those who search for my life lay snares for me, and those who seek to do me evil have threatened destruction, and they meditate on deception all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth, and I am like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For I wait on you, O Yahweh, you will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, Save, lest they be glad over me who when my foot stumbles magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I confess my iniquity. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. But my enemies are vigorous and strong, and those who wrongfully hate me abound. And those who repay evil for good, they accuse me, for I pursue what is good. Do not forsake me, O Yahweh, O my God. Do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation." All right, and now Proverbs 10, verses 8 and 9. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but an ignorant fool of loose lips will be ruined. He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. All right, well, that is our reading for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I hope it's been beneficial for you. It's been edifying for you. Um, I hope you go out and have yourself a wonderful day and um, that you would do all that you do today for the glory of God and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. The prayer we're going to close close with from Valley of Vision is called In Prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, in prayer, I launch far out into the eternal world and on that broad ocean, my soul triumphs over all evils on the shores of immortality. Time, with its gay amusements and cruel disappointments, never appears, never appears so inconsiderate as them. In prayer, I see myself as nothing. I find my heart, my heart going after thee with intensity, and long with vehement thirst to live to thee. Blessed be the strong gales of the Spirit, that speed me on my way to the new Jerusalem. In prayer, all things here below vanish, and nothing seems important, but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. In prayer, all my worldly cares, fears, anxieties disappear and are of as little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer, my soul inwardly exults with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church, and I long that thou shouldst get thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. In prayer, I am lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life and taste heavenly joys entering into the eternal world. I can give myself to thee with all my heart, to be thine forever. In prayer I can place all my concerns in thy hands, to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. 
In prayer I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come, with greatest freedom, ardent hopes, as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved. Help me to be all prayer and never to cease praying. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a great day and I will see you this evening. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, February 21st episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can go find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. I would definitely encourage you to do that. Great, great listening over there. Men and women of God doing wonderful, wonderful things. Definitely worth your while. Um, we're going to continue on this evening doing our reading from Thomas Watson's A Godly Man's Picture. We're continuing on in this segment, and I'm sorry I forgot it again, um, the part that is uh, showing the characteristics of a godly man. We're going to be continuing on in that starting in section seven of that, uh, which is A Godly Man Prizes Christ. So we'll be starting there, but let's go ahead and open up with prayer. Prayer we're going to do from Valley of Vision is called Weaknesses. Weaknesses. Let's pray. O Spirit of God, help my infirmities when I am pressed down with a load of sorrow, perplexed and knowing not what to do, slandered and persecuted, made to feel the weight of the cross. Help me, I pray thee. If thou seest in me any wrong thing encouraged, any evil desire cherished, any delight that is not thy delight, any habit that grieves thee, any nest of sin in my heart, then grant me the kiss of thy forgiveness, and teach my feet to walk the way of thy commandments. Deliver me from carking care, and make me a happy, holy person. Help me to walk the separated life with firm and brave step, and to wrestle successfully against weakness. Teach me to laud, adore, and magnify thee with the music of heaven, and make me a perfume of praiseful gratitude to thee. I do not crouch at thy feet as a slave before a tyrant, but exult before thee as a son with a father. Give me power to live as thy child in all my actions, and to exercise sonship by conquering self. Preserve me from the intoxication that comes of prosperity. Sober me when I am glad with a joy, joy that comes not from thee. Lead me safely on to the eternal kingdom, not asking whether the road be rough or smooth, I request only to see the face of him I love, to be content with bread to eat, with raiment to put on, if I can be brought to thy house in peace. Amen. All right. Now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 21st. The text is from Acts 8.30. Understandeth thou what thou readest. We should be abler teachers of others and less liable to be carried about by every wind of doctrine if we sought to have a more intelligent understanding of the word of God. As the Holy Ghost, the author of the scriptures, is he who alone can enlighten us rightly to understand them, we should constantly ask his teaching and his guidance into all truth. When the prophet Daniel would interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, what did he do? He set himself to earnest prayer that God would open up the vision. The Apostle John, in his vision at Patmos, saw a book sealed with seven seals, which none was found worthy to open, or so much as to look upon. 
The book was afterwards opened by the lion of the tribe of Judah, who had prevailed to open it. But it is written first, I wept much. The tears of John, which were his liquid prayers, were so far as he was concerned the sacred keys by which the folded book was opened. Therefore, if for your own and others profiting, you desire to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, remember that prayer is your best means of study. Like Daniel, you shall understand the dream and the interpretation thereof when you have sought unto God, and like John, you shall see the seven seals of precious truth unloosed after you, un unloosed after you have wept much. Stones are not broken except by an earnest use of the hammer and the stone breaker must go down on his knees. Use the hammer of diligence, and let the knee of prayer be exercised, and there is not a stony doctrine in Revelation which is useful for you to understand, which will not fly into shivers under the exercise of prayer and faith. You may force your way through anything with the leverage of prayer. Thoughts and reasonings are like the steel wedges which give a hold upon truth, but prayer is the lever the prize which forces open the iron chest of sacred mystery, that we may get the treasure hidden within. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to get back into our reading of Thomas Watson's A Godly Man Picture. We are in um, area four, which is showing the characteristics of a godly man. And we are on the seventh characteristic. This is called section seven, but it's the seventh characteristic. So we're going to commence reading there. I'm, I'm going to try not to go as long as I did last night. One, because obviously I'm recording this the night before and it's very late and I need to get done and get to bed so I can work tomorrow. So seventh characteristic, a godly man prizes Christ. To illustrate this, I will show one that Jesus Christ is precious in himself. That a godly man is number two, that a godly man esteems him, him as precious. Jesus Christ is number one. Jesus Christ is precious in himself. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, 1 Peter 2, 6. 1. Christ is compared to a bundle of myrrh, Song of Songs 1, 13. Myrrh is very precious. It was one of the chief spices from which the holy anointing oil was made, Exodus thirty twenty five. Myrrh has a perfuming nature. So Christ perfumes our persons and services so that they are a sweet aroma to God. Why is the church, that heavenly bride, so perfumed with grace, unless Christ, that myrrh tree, has dripped upon her? Song of Songs 3.6 Myrrh has an exhilarating nature. The, the smell of its... Wow, it doesn't want a page, sorry. Has an exhilarating nature. The smell of its comforts and... The smell of it comforts and refreshes the spirit. So Christ comforts the souls of his people when they are fainting under their sins and sufferings. Christ is compared to a pearl. When he had found one pearl of great price, Matthew 13, 46. Christ, this pearl, was little in regard to his humility, but of infinite value. Jesus Christ is a pearl that God wears in his bosom, John 1, 18. A pearl whose luster drowns the world's glory, Galatians 6, 14. A pearl that enriches the soul, the angelic part of man, 1 Corinthians 1, 5. A pearl that enlightens heaven, Revelations 21, 23. A pearl so precious that it makes us precious to God, Ephesians 1, 6. A pearl that is cordial and restorative, a pearl of more worth than heaven. The preciousness of Christ is seen in three ways. 
He is precious in his person. He is the picture of his Father's glory. He is precious in his offices, which are several rays of the Son of Righteousness. Christ's prophetic office is precious, Deuteronomy 18.15. He is the great oracle of heaven. He has a preciousness above all the prophets which went before him. He teaches not only the ear, but the heart. He who has the key of David, Revelation 3.7 in his hand, open the heart of Lydia, Acts 16.14. Christ's priestly office is precious. This is the solid basis of our comfort. Now he has appeared once to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, Hebrews 9.26. By virtue of his sacrifice, the soul may go to God with boldness. Lord, give me heaven. Christ has purchased it for me. He hung upon the cross that I might sit upon the throne. Christ's blood and incense are the two hinges on which our salvation turns. Christ's regal office is precious. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19.16. Christ has a preeminence above all other kings for majesty. He has the highest throne, the richest crown, the largest dominions, and the longest possession. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Though Christ has many assessors, yet no successor. Christ sets up his scepter where no other king does. He rules the will and affections. His power binds the conscience. The angels take the oath of allegiance to him. Christ's kingship is seen in two royal acts, one in ruling his people and two in ruling over his enemies. So in ruling his people, he rules with clemency. His regal rod has honey at the end of it. Christ displays the ensign of mercy, which makes so many volunteers run to his standard. Psalm 110.3 Holiness without mercy and justice without mercy would be dreadful, but mercy encourages poor sinners to trust in him. In ruling over his enemies, he pulls down their pride, makes foolish their policy, restrains their malice. The remainder of wrath you shall restrain, or as it is in in the Hebrew, you shall girdle up. Psalm 76.10 That stone cut out of the mountain without hands which struck the image, Daniel 2.34, was an emblem, says Augustine, of Christ's monarchical power, conquering and triumphing over his enemies. Christ is precious in his benefits. By Christ, all dangers are removed. Through Christ, all mercies are conveyed. In his blood flows justification, purgation, fructification, pacification, adoption, perseverance, glorification. This will be a matter of the most sublime joy unto eternity. We read that those who have passed over the sea of glass stood with their harps and sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. Revelation 15, 2 and 3. So too, when the saints of God have passed over the glassy sea of this world, they shall sing hallelujahs to the Lamb who has redeemed them from sin and hell and has translated them into the glorious paradise where they shall see God forever and ever. The second thing to be illustrated is that, number two, every godly man sets a high value and estimate on Christ. To you, therefore, who believe, he is precious, 1 Peter 2, 7. In the Greek, it is an honor. Believers have an honorable esteem of Christ. The psalmist speaks like one captivated with Christ's amazing beauty. There is none upon earth that I desire besides you, Psalm seventy-three twenty-five. He did not say he had nothing. He had many comforts on earth, but he desired none but God. 
as if a wife were to say that there is no one's company she prizes like her husband's. How did David prize Christ? You are fairer than the children of men. Psalm 45, 2. The spouse in the Song of Solomon looked upon Christ as a Corypheus, the most incomparable one, the chief among 10,000. Song of Songs 5.10 Christ Christ outvies all others. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my lover among the sons. Song of Songs 2.3 Christ infinitely more excels all the beauties and glories of this visible world than the apple tree surpasses the trees of the wild forest. Paul so prized Christ that he made him his chief study. I determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. He judged nothing else of worth. worth. <sighs> Paul best knew Christ. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 1 Corinthians 9.1. He saw him with his bodily eyes in a vision when he was wrapped up into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12.2. And he saw him with the eye of his faith in the blessed supper. Therefore he knew him best. Consider how he slighted and devalued other things in comparison with Christ. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians 3.8 Gain he counted loss, and gold he counted dung. For Christ, indeed, a godly person can but choose to set a high valuation upon Christ. He sees a fullness of worth in him, a fullness in regard to variety, in whom are hidden all treasures. Colossians 2.3 no country has all commodities from its own growth, but Christ has in, in himself all kinds of fullness, fullness of merit, of spirit, of love. He has a treasury adequate for all our wants, a fullness in regard to degree. Christ does not have only a few drops of or rays of goodness, but is more full of it than the sun is full of light. He has the fullness of the Godhead, Colossians 2.9 a fullness in regard to duration. The fullness in the creature, like the brooks of Arabia, is soon dried up. But Christ's fullness is inexhaustible. It is a fullness overflowing and ever-flowing, and this fullness is for believers. Christ is, as Luther says, a common treasury or magazine for the saints. Of his, fulfill of his fullness have all we received. John 1.16 But a glass under a sill... I'm sorry, put a glass under a sill, and it receives water out of the still, drop by drop. So those who are united to Christ have the dews and drops of his grace distilling on them. Christ may well then be admired by all those who believe. Use. If a godly man is a high, high prizer of Christ, then what is to be thought of those who do not put a value upon Christ? Are they godly or not? There are four sorts of people who do not prize Christ. Number one, the Jews. They do not believe in Christ. To this day, the veil is upon their heart. 2 Corinthians 3.15 They expect their future age and a Messiah still to come as their own Talmud reports. They blaspheme Christ. They slight imputed righteousness. They, desp <sighs> they despise the Virgin, the Virgin Mary. <sighs> in derision, calling her Mara which signifies bitterness. They vilify the gospel. They deny the Christian Sabbath. They hold Christians an abomination. They hold that it is not lawful for a Jew to take medicine from a Christian. 
Zechicardus relates the story of one Bindima, a Jew who was bitten by a snake. A Christian came to heal him, but he refused his help and chose to die rather than be healed by a Christian. So the Jews hate Christ and all that wear his uniform. Used to, um, group 2. The Socinians, who acknowledge only Christ's humanity. This is to make him below the angels. For human nature, simply considered, is inferior to the angelic. Psalm 8.5 Group number 3. Proud Professors who do not lay the whole stress of their salvation upon Christ, but would mingle their dross with his gold, their duties with his merits. This is to steal a jewel from Christ's crown and implicitly deny that he is a perfect savior. Group number four, airy speculators, who prefer the study of the arts and sciences before Christ. Not that the knowledge, not that the knowledge of these is not commendable. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, Acts 7.22 Human learning is of good use to prepare for the study of better things, just as a coarser dye prepares the cloth for a richer and deeper dye. But the fault is when the study of Christ is neglected. The knowledge of Christ ought to have preeminence. It was surely not without a mystery that God allowed all Solomon's writings about birds and plants to be lost. But what he wrote about spiritual wisdom was miraculously preserved, as if God would teach us that, to know Christ, the true wisdom is the crowning knowledge. Proverbs 8.12 One leaf of this tree of life will give us more comfort on a deathbed than the whole realm of human science. What is it to know all the motions of the orbs and the influences of the stars, and in the meantime be ignorant of Christ, the bright morning star? Revelations 22.16 What is it to understand the nature of minerals or precious stones, and not to know Christ, the true cornerstone? Isaiah 28.16 it is undervaluing, indeed despising Christ, when with the lodestone we draw iron and straw to us, but neglect the one who has refined gold to bestow on us. Revelations 3.18 Use number two. Is it the sign of, of a godly person to prize Christ? Then let us test our godliness by this. Do we set a high estimation on, estimation on Christ? Question. How shall we know that? Answer. If we prize Christ then in our judgments we prefer him before other things. We value Christ above honor and riches. The pearl of great price lies nearest our heart. The one who prizes Christ esteems the gleanings of Christ better than the world's vintage. He counts the worst things of Christ better than the best things of the world. Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasure of Egypt. Hebrews 11.26 And is it thus with us? Has the price of worldly things fallen? Gregory Nazianzen solemnly blessed God that he had anything to lose for Christ's sake. But alas, how few Nazianzens are to be found. You will hear some say they have honorable thoughts of Christ, but they prize their land and estate above him. The young man in the gospel preferred his bags of gold before Christ. Judas valued thirty pieces of silver above him. May it not be feared, if an hour of trial comes, that there are many who would rather renounce their baptism and throw off Christ's uniform than hazard the loss of their earthly possession for him. Answer number two. If we prize Christ, we cannot live without him. Things which we value, we do not know how to be without. A man may live without music, but not without food. A child of God can lack health and friends, but he cannot lack Christ. In the absence of Christ, he says as Job, 
I went mourning without the sun. Job thirty twenty eight. I have the starlight of creature comforts, but I need the sun of righteousness. Give me children, said Rachel, or I die. Genesis 31, verse 1. So the soul says, Lord, give me Christ, or I die. One drop of the water of life to quench my thirst. Let us test by this. Do they prize Christ if they can manage well enough without him? Give a child a rattle, and it will not pay attention to gold. If men have but worldly accommodations, corn and wine, they can be content well enough without Christ. Christ is a spiritual rock. 1 Corinthians 10.14 Let men have but oil in the cruise. 1 Kings 17.12 And they will not care for honey out of the rock. If their trading is gone, they complain. But if God takes away the gospel, which is the ark in which Christ the manna is hidden, they are quiet and tame enough. Do they prize Christ? If they can sit down and be content without him? Answer number three. If we prize Christ, then we will not grudge any pains to get him. The one who prizes gold will dig for it in the mine. My soul follows hard after God. Psalms 63, 8. Plutarch reports of the Gauls, an ancient people in France, that after they tasted the sweet wine of the Italian grape, they sought after that country, and never rested until they arrived at it. The one in whose eye Christ is precious never rests until he has gained him. I sought him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Song of Songs 3, 1 and 4. Test by this. Many say they have Christ in high veneration but they are not industrious in the use of the means to obtain him. If Christ would drop like a ripe fig into their mouth, they could be content to have him, but they will not put themselves to too much trouble to get him. Does someone prize his health? If he will not put himself on medicine or exercise? Answer number four. If we prize Christ, then we take great satisfaction in Christ. What joy a man takes in what he counts as his treasure. The one who prizes Christ makes him the head of his joy. He can delight in Christ when other delights are gone. Though the fig tree does not flourish, flourish, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Though a flower in a man's garden dies, yet he can delight in his money and jewels. The one who esteems Christ can find his solace in Christ when there is autumn upon all his other comforts. Answer number five. Wow. Answer number five. If we prize Christ, then we will part with our dearest cravings for him. Paul said of the Galatians that they so esteemed him that they were ready to pull out their own eyes and give them to him. Galatians 4.15. The one who esteems Christ will pull out that lust, which is as precious as his right eye. A wise man will throw away a poison for a medicine. The one who sets a high value on Christ will part with his pride, unjust gain, and sinful ways. Isaiah thirty thirty two, He will set his feet upon the neck of his sins. Test by this. How can they be said to prize Christ if they will not leave a worthless thing for, for him, or if they prefer a damning pleasure above a saving Christ? Answer 6. If we prize Christ, we will think we cannot have him at too high a cost. We may buy gold for too much, but we cannot purchase Christ for too much. Though we part with our blood for him, it is not a lost bargain. The apostles rejoiced that they were so graced as to be disgraced for Christ. Acts 5.41 They esteemed their fetters more precious than bracelets of gold. Do not let him who refuses to bear his cross say that he prizes Christ. 
when persecution arises because of the word, he quickly stumbles. Matthew 13, 21. Answer 7. If we prize Christ, we will be willing to help others to be to a part in him. What we consider excellent, we desire our friends to have a share in it. If a man has found a spring of water, he will call others so that they may drink and satisfy their thirst. Do we commend Christ to others? Do we take them by the hand and lead them to Christ? This shows how few prize Christ, because they do not strive more that their relations should have a part in him. They get land and riches for their posterity, but they have no care to leave them the pearl of great price for their portion. Answer 8. If we prize Christ, then we prize him in health as well as in sickness, in wealth as well as in poverty. A friend is prized at all times. The rose of Sharon is always sweet. The one who values his Savior rightly has as precious thoughts of him in a day of prosperity as he does in a day of adversity. The wicked man makes use of Christ only when they are in straits, as did the elders of Gilead who went to Jephthah when they were in distress. Judges 11.7 The Mystocles complained about the Athenians, that they only ran to him as they did to a tree to shelter them in a storm. Sinners desire Christ only for shelter. The Hebrews never choose their judges except when they were in some imminent danger. Godless people never look to Christ except at death, when they are in danger of hell. Use 3. Because we would prove to the world that we have the, imp- we have the impress of godliness on us, let us be prizers of Jesus Christ. He is elect, precious to us. Christ is the wonder of beauty. Pliny said of the mulberry tree that there is nothing in it except what is therapeutic and useful the fruit, leaves, and bark. So there is nothing in Christ except what is precious. His name is precious. His virtues are precious. His blood is precious, more precious than the world. Oh, then, let us have endearing thoughts of Christ. Let him be accounted our chief treasure and delight. This is the reason why millions perish, because they do not prize Christ. Christ is the door by which men are to enter heaven. John 10.9 If they do not know this door or are so proud that they will not stoop to go in at it, how can they be saved? That we may have Christ admiring thoughts, let us consider. We cannot prize Christ at too high a cost. We may prize other things above their value. That is our sin. We commonly overrate the creature. We think there is more worth in it than there is. Therefore God withers our gourd because we overprize it. But we cannot raise our esteem of Christ high enough. He is beyond all value. There is no ruby or diamond on which the jeweler cannot set a fair price. He can say it is worth so much and no more. But Christ's worth can never be fully known. No seraphim can set a due value on him. His are unsearchable riches. Ephesians 3.8 Christ is more precious than the soul, than the angels, than heaven. Jesus Christ has highly prized us. He took our flesh upon himself. Hebrews 2.16 he made his soul an offering for us, Isaiah 53:10. How precious our salvation was to Christ. Shall we not prize I'm sorry, shall we not prize and adore the one who has put such a value upon us? Not to prize Christ is highly imprudent. Christ is our guide to glory. It is folly for a man to slight his guide. He is our physician, Malachi 4:2. It is folly to despise our physician. What are we to set lightly by Christ for think I'm sorry, what? Are we to set lightly by Christ for things of no value? You blind fools, Matthew twenty-three seventeen. 
How is a fool tested except by showing him an apple and a piece of gold? If he chooses the apple before the gold, he is judged to be a fool, and his estate is beggared. How many such idiots are there who choose the gaudy empty things of this life before the prince of glory? Will not Satan beggar them in the end as fools? Some slight, cri some slight Christ now and say, There is no beauty in him that he should be desired. Isaiah 53, 2. There is a day coming shortly when Christ will slight them as much. He will set as lightly by them as they do by him. He will say, I do not know you. Luke 13, 27. What a slighting word that will be when men cried, Lord Jesus, when men cry, Lord Jesus, save us. And he says, I was offered to you, but you would have none of me. You scorned me, and now I will set lightly by you and your salvation. Depart from me, I do not know you. This is all that sinners get by rejecting the Lord of life. At the day of judgment, Christ will slight those who have slighted him in the day of grace. All right. Um, that was an awful long um, characteristic, so we are going to end with that today. Um, again, I hope this time in this reading, and I'm sorry I've stumbled a little bit on it, but I hope this reading has been edifying for you, um, and I thank you for spending this time with me. Again, I hope you have a great evening, and that God willing, I will see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close, of course, with our third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to me, to thee, I'm sorry, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners, our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, have a great night, and I will see you in the morning. God bless. Mm -hmm.